Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Kena Crowley, you are a divorce recovery coach, and you wrote a book, hang in there, I want to say the title perfectly, author of A Superwoman's Guide to Recovery After Divorce. Okay, that's that's totally cool. What happens during divorce? So do you work with people during divorce or after divorce? Or both? Yes, yes I actually work with people um either in the process of divorce or in the aftermath of divorce. Are these two different stages? What do you see as the difference between during and after? Yes, yeah, so I the main difference is there are a lot of similarities, but the main difference is um, more so where they are in the process of grief. Um, and usually the the people I work with, I, I work with mostly women, um, the women that I work with who are still in the process of divorce. Um, they are still dealing with more so the either the denial um, that it's really over um, or maybe thinking, oh, this is just a phase. Um, we, we can reconcile, work this out or even the bargaining. Hey, I can work on being a better wife or a better spouse. Um, and they kind of go back and forth, even though, you know, they have those moments where they know it's over, they they still kind of have that denial or that bargaining. Whereas um, the women who are in the aftermath, they have already completed the process of divorce and they are completely divorced, are more so in the okay, now what do I do? What's next? Um, yeah. And they both deal with that because even the women who are still legally married are are worried it's a lot of fear with them a fear of what's next especially if there are children um how am i going to do this um a lot of self doubt in that way yeah. and what's next as far as when we finish um finish our divorce and who's moving out. I have some clients still living with their spouse yep. um, and that adds yeah. added issues as well. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's horrifying. I can't, re- I can't imagine anything worse than when you're trying to grieve and thank you so much with opening with the grief stages. I, I mean that we can't talk about this enough. I don't think no. because they need to understand they're in grief. Grief can have a term limit, depending on how they deal with it, right? But right. then what you said was was good too, and that is, now what? Because it's so funny, Kina, when I'm done getting people divorced, filing, and they get their divorce decrees from the court, they call me or email me and say, well, what do we do next? And I'm like, well, you're done. I wish you the best in life, but you're done. And so that's where you come in. Yes. Well, you're not done. Now you have a whole new world, right? Tell me what comes next. Yes. So 
Usually when I'm working with the women who are start working with the women who are in the aftermath, they've completed that divorce. Um, they are really feeling that lost feeling. They, I have some women who have been divorced. It's not fresh. Um, in the sense of it didn't just happen. They've been divorced for like a year and a half, two years, and they still are kind of lost. They've lost their identity. They've lost their sense of purpose. They're like, okay, I've been a wife. I've been a mother. Um, but now I don't know what to do. Um, or they feel like they're just kind of going through the motions, um, not really living life and um, have have not gotten back in tune with who they really are. Um, they often feel lonely um, and even emptiness. That's a, a big one. And some of them, depending on where they are in their, their grief, um, may be still in that anger or depression um, phase of their grief. And so I help them because usually it all boils down to one way or another, they're stuck. They are stuck somewhere in their process and have not fully gotten to acceptance. And um, the the reason why I'm able to identify that so well is because that was me in my own process. Right. Um, I, I was a therapist at the time of my divorce, and um, I could see, in hindsight, I could see, okay, I went through my stages of grief, my own process of grief, but mm -hmm. at that time, I could not completely identify as a therapist. I had my own blind spots. I could not see where I was at all times. The anger was evident in the aftermath, that was clear. Yeah, um, it always comes through very loud and clear, does exactly, it not? Exactly. But, but what, hold on, you said something I wanted to focus on for a second, and that is they don't know, really know who they are. And I, I, I know this is what your book addresses and this is what your coaching addresses. So let's talk about, you have to redefine yourself. You are a changed person after divorce it allows you to grow and it allows you to well you are at a different place therefore you must have goals and purpose pick it up from there yes definitely so um that's really dealing with the mindset up up front the first thing from day one we start working on and identifying is that mindset reason is because often um, they feel overwhelmed, um, they lack clarity, and they that adds to that lost or that what's next, you know, feeling. And um, they also often lose some confidence if they had confidence in their marriage and such. Um, often the divorce kind of shatters that. Um, and so we start there because before they can really pick up these tools to figure out what's next in this new chapter and really, really grow and write this chapter, you know, to and take charge of their lives, yeah. they have to first believe that they can. And a lot of people after divorce, especially the women I work with, have a lot of self-doubt 
um, a lot of lack of self-worth. Um, am I worthy of something better? Am I worthy of being loved? Am I worthy of taking care of myself? Um, and am I worthy of happiness? And a lot of them have like lost themselves in just that that thought pattern and not even realizing. And my book dealing with um, the reason I chose that title is because a lot of women in particular feel like and they operate as in having to be superwomen, um, superheroes, where they're taking care of the household, they're going to work and they're putting yeah. themselves on the back burner. And the, and the kids, of course. And the kids, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then they, they get up, wash, rinse and repeat. They do it all over again and again. And they are viewing themselves as, OK, this is what I have to do. Um, and I really don't have time for anything else. Like they make it optional to take care of themselves. And when you think right. of superheroes, they're so selfless, you know, and they just drop everything and go and rescue people and they keep going. But we don't see that reality of the bottom line is we're human. We're not superheroes with these extra powers and such. No, we have to see that sometimes we have to take a knee and we, it's, we need to ask for help. We need to take our mask off, you know, maybe take off the cape for a minute and say, yeah, I'm doing all these things and it, it may seem like I'm okay, but truth be told, I need to find a way to start focusing on me. And usually that requires some kind of support. First, admitting it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Hey, I need, I, I can't do it all, you know, and, yeah. and I can't going like this. Yeah, I'm operating, I'm getting stuff done, but am I really living, you know, or am I just surviving? No, that is so very important. And quite often, unless there is a lot of money from the other spouse and you live in a state that offers um, a great deal of alimony slash spousal support and or child support, if you have a child, you're going to have to go back to work. Isn't this one of the ways that uh, a woman, a person can redefine themselves. Uh, you have to get a job. We all have to eat. We all have to make money. I have to eat more than everybody. But <laughs> so I need more money than anybody. So everybody come to me. Uh, but in your job, you can start redefining yourself since you have to work in what you do for a career, not a living, a career, right? Correct. Um, and part of that tapping in, getting that clarity and that confidence um, helps with that self-discovery. Okay, what do I really want? Yeah, I've been a wife. I've been a mother. I'm still a mother. But, you know, what are things I want for me? What's important to me? Maybe this job or career that I was in, it was it was what worked for me at that time. But have I, I realized a lot of women, when I asked them, what do you feel your purpose, your true purpose in life is? That stumps them. That question stumps them. They're like, mm -hmm. I, hmm, I've never 
thought about that before. And so starting there and having them really focus on what they want and not feel guilty for doing something for them, for actually identifying it and pursuing it. Because a lot of women, they're like, yeah, okay, I've, I, I want that, but I, I think I want to do this for my kids still. And their kids are like in their thirties, you know? <laughs> They're like, yeah, I want to buy a house, but I think I'm going to move to this other state because my my child is taking a job there. And so I help them identify and, and start to focus on them and get past like the mindset that is blocking them from doing that. And the confidence, a lot of times it is a lot of self-doubt that they can do it, that they could reach that next level, whether it means going back to school or changing a career or buying your first house, um, they first have to see it. And so that's where we really work. But yes, once we get to that point, it is that time for them to explore and then actually come up with a, a realistic plan to reach those goals of really reaching their next level. Yeah. So it doubly hard if a woman hasn't worked. So, you, you know, you still run into enough situations where college educated, but married shortly after, have maybe had a year or two of the career and then the other spouse makes plenty of money. Honey, stay home and watch the kids. Once in a while, it's a man now. Interesting. I like that little twist. But then when it doesn't work out, you don't have your own income. You let go of your career. You're now defined as your role as a mother. It's a fabulous role. A wife, another fabulous role. But there's nothing singular, just you. So, yeah, that piece is really important. It really is. And, you know, just because you've been out of the job market for a while doesn't mean you can't get back in it successfully. Right. My sister-in-law, two kids, she had a business card she made, professional mother, and listed all the things she did as a professional mom. And a lot of these skills can be transferred into the work world yep. because they're managerial skills. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And your sister first had to. My sister-in-law. Sister-in-law. My sister was great too. She raised three kids. Fabulous. Sorry. Yes. Your sister-in-law had to first be able to get out of her own way and get out of her head and, and see, okay, I can either be stuck and oh, no, no, no. My sister-in-law is still married. I'm saying oh, the role okay. of the mother. My, my okay. whole point in what I was saying was when you're transitioning out of a divorce as, as a working person or parent and you haven't worked for a while because there was plenty of money to go around, there's not always plenty of money when it's two households, though. You know, right. that's the thing. The money can be good uh when there's one household, but if there's only one income and there's two households, it's a whole different ball of wax. But no, I really thought what um, my sister-in-law did that was so super cool, we're going to play the super theme, is she recognized it was a job. 
There was no one that was going to demean her in the importance of being a mother. And my whole, my thing was there's skills and talents here, managerial skills and talents as a professional mom that can be used in the business world. Your time management, organization, multitasking. I mean, isn't that your mom? Isn't that part of being a mom? Yes, definitely. And um, organization, <laughs> um, delegation, definitely like telling your kids what to do and, and, and definitely knowing planning, planning ahead. I have yeah. to do this. You, you said the time management piece, all of that and knowing how to work under pressure, knowing how to pivot um, because Working with difficult personalities, your uh, children. <laughs> yes. yes, all of that. And um basically knowing how to to continue because moms don't get a break. Moms don't get to um, right. I remember the NyQuil commercial, I think it is, where they like even when you're yeah. sick, you still have a job to do. And right. so knowing how to push through adversity and still get the job done. Um yes, definitely. Um Women who have been basically taking care of the household, even looking at that, what else do you do outside of raising the children? What else do you do around the house um, that can be transferred into other skills that could help you enter the workforce? You know, cleaning, the list goes on and on. Right. No, exactly. It's a huge job. and, And I really want mothers to know that. Now, I want to segue into something that hits home with you and I want to pursue uh, this next thing a second. You have a child. How old is your child? You have just one or have, do you have more now? I have two. I have a, she just turned 22 year old daughter. Yes. And I have a 16 year old son. Is the 22 year old the special needs or is it the other 16? It's the 16 year old. It's yes. the 16. Okay. So you're still parenting. He, he right? Yes, he is still a minor. Parenting and co-parenting on a good day is tough. Yes. What's it like with a um uh somebody uh, somebody else I interviewed called them complex kids um and got away from special needs complex meaning there were just different aspects of raising them that became different and and very very important things that you may not need to do with other kids so you know they called them um uh, that put them in a different category of complex what what is do you mind talking about your son and what those needs are that may be more so than your 22 year old daughter was Yes, definitely. So um, my son is on the spectrum um, and he has ADHD. So that is a combination to say the least. What does it mean on the spectrum? Can you define that? Yeah. So he has autism, um, but with it being a spectrum um, where you see just different, it presents differently. Um, you, you see the children or people where they are extremely sensitive to stimuli. They don't want to be touched. Um, they mm-hmm. may not 
really be verbal um, and they may engage in certain behaviors when they get frustrated, such as head banging, like that's more of the extreme side. Um, and then on the other end, you have your high functioning um, where they usually have some kind of talent that they're very, very great at, um, but they one thing that's a hallmark for autism is there's um, some some socialization, mm-hmm. um, lack of social skills, regardless. Mm-hmm. And um, my son kind of falls in the middle, okay, um, where he's um, slightly developmentally delayed, um, mm-hmm. but he's very ver- verbal, vocal, can make his needs known, have a whole conversation with you, um, and but it's a lot of needing redirection constantly needing redirection certain things that a lot of things that he should be doing by his age he he isn't doing like but will he eventually do yeah so he is capable he's where there are some children on the other end um where they basically reach their full potential by like kindergarten um but he he's capable of learning. It's just it's taking him a lot longer with certain things, and um, the that combination of ADHD and autism makes wow. it impulsivity, um, the hyperactivity combined with um, the repetition and just not paying attention to certain things. Like he still needs reminders. Hey, go wipe your nose. Hey, you just ate something, wipe your mouth. Okay. Okay. Yes. In a kid, you would continually do that, but maybe not at 16. Kina, will he be able to work and live independently? What do you think? Well, he's been assessed and I've been coming to terms with certain things as a mother um, and looking at his progress. And I've gotten to the point where I'm like, "Mm, I think he's capable of functioning in the workforce, but he will be extremely limited with what the work will look like. So honestly, part of what why I do what I do is not just for the women that I'm serving, but also, you know, to make sure that I create something that will be a safe space for him to still be productive, even if it's in my company. Um, and that way he's not just having to be taken care of. He's still able to do something for earn a living to, you know, actually be a productive member in society. And feel whole and valuable and, you know, um, important in life, which is extremely at the forefront. So the baby's, your son's father, is he challenged by having a son that's complex, that's special need, because this is a big deal. Not every parent can deal with this. No. Um, yes. Yes, he is. So, um, and my situation is kind of, kind of complicated and I think other people's aren't. Are but- you complex? <laughs> Yes, Yes. Um, so my son, I entered my marriage with my children. So we were a blended Mm -hmm. family. Um, so I was not married to my son's father. Ah. Um, 
And so my ex had to also deal with those dynamics and he did not deal with them very well. Um, but as far as my son's father, um, biological father, yes, it was a lot of um, not seeing eye to eye as far as um, his diagnosis. Oh, no, he doesn't have also the, the denial. The denial. Yes, the denial. Yeah. And then, of course, because not believing that he even has that diagnosis or those issues, um, not having that understanding of the treatment and why I was making certain decisions that was best for him, like certain medication or maybe he needs certain um, therapies and such. And because there is not the greatest, we're not the greatest at co-parenting, um, our breakup was not amicable at all. Um, yeah. And it, it carries on. It makes it very hard for us to come together when it comes to what's best for him, which causes a lot of tension with that. So medical treatment is a big issue with people. They can be on very different sides of what they think is right. And if you have a child that really does need attention and you have joint, le well, in California, joint legal custody, uh, you both have to make decisions together. And if you have a child in need and you're not coming together on these decisions, now you're back in the court and it's horrifying. How have you been able to resolve um, differences in how you, what your son needs? That has been a very, very, very big challenge um, because not only my son has the, the mental health or the mental aspect of it and the behavioral aspect of it, but he actually has like physical, he, he has asthma mm -hmm. um, and he was born with club foot. And so certain things, his dad wanted his feet to get straightened through like radical surgery. I didn't see, I'd, I'm like, eh, let's try the, the shoes to correct it. Not such an extreme measure because he could still walk. And my daughter had the same thing. And I, I oh. saw him didn't have to, yeah. So I guess club foot running oh. I didn't, um, uh, who knew? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know. And so, um, you know, it was just things like that. And he would like be firm on his stance on it. And I'm like, no, I'm firm on mine. And really, a lot of times it would boil down to like kind of we, we've gone back and forth to court over a That's lot. I was going to ask, did you end up having the, to need a judge? Yes, yes. And the, if like things were in the gray area of our court order, which a lot of stuff would fall in the gray area of that. Um, and because it usually says like the parent with custodial custody kind of has the final say with like life-sustaining things or like emergency right. and such, mm -hmm. but something that's more so not a lot like, you know, correcting his feet. And where does that fall, you know, on the, on the spectrum of things? Of things and so, um, we real it, it has been a roller coaster dealing with that, and I had to learn to set boundaries, and I had to learn, you know, at the end of the day, as that parent that is every day seeing my child every day, you know, I'm the one that is getting that first glimpse or glimpse, um 
and firsthand view of what he's really experiencing, what's going on with him, then I have to trust my judgment and try to explain it to his father when we're not seeing eye to eye. But at the end of the day, like if I'm really strong about my opinion on something, Mm -hmm. then try to involve him, but do what's best for my child. You know, even if he doesn't agree with it, because I have a lot more insight just by being that parent that's there with him every day and seeing the impact of his development and what he really needs. Kina, biological dad, father, does he spend much time with your son? No, he does not. Um, and that in itself is a whole other situation. Um, but yes, no, he, he does not. There's the court order, you know, there for him too. But um, no, he, he really, we're in different states. So um, that, that also makes it a little. Did he move away or did you move? How, how did you two get to be in different states? I joined the military. Uh, oh, after you had your son. Yes, it wasn't right after, it was a few years after. Uh, Okay, interesting. So how did that work out, joining the military as a mom? And obviously, if he was already born, you had two kids, your daughter and your son. How did that work? That was a challenge, and I joined to make a better life for um, my children and myself, and I'm pretty much... From the moment I joined and I left for training, like just a lot of adversity, a lot of things didn't go as planned. My, I get, I got injured in training. And so my training period was months longer because I had to heal, but they wouldn't let me go home, of course, to heal. Um, and so then when I get to my first duty station, I get my kids back, which at that time had been the longest I had been separated from them. Okay, wait a minute. Where were they while you were in training? my mother okay keep going all right yeah and so um then I I get to our we get to our first duty station and I'm thinking okay I'm going to reunite with my children and as I'm signing into the duty station I'm also getting orders to deploy to Iraq and so as soon as I reunite with my children, it's time to prepare to leave them again and try not to think about I might not come home, you know. And yes. And so um to Iraq and like Right, we, you're right. I remember 2003. I remember this. Yes, I, I deployed to Iraq at the point that I deployed. It was 2010. So things were calming down, oh. down but it still was Iraq. Um, and obviously I came back, you know, I made it back. I survived, but it did have an effect on me. Um, and mentally I had to adjust over there to being away, being on a whole different continent. It was one thing I was in a different state than my children. That was killing me when I was doing training, but to not even be in the same time zone by like 14 hours. And when I call my children initially, like every day, after a while, he had nothing to really talk about and that pain, like, oh, I missed him. And having to mentally accept that and say, like, I'm going to get through this. It, it sounds bad. Like, I felt guilty, but I had to kind of compartmentalize while I was over there. I had to say, I think about my children, but 
I can't always have them right here. They're here, but if they're always right in the front of my mind, then it's going to cause me to get sad and depressed. And I'm in a situation where I can't go home and I'm doing this for them. When I would feel that guilt as a mother, mm-hmm. I should be there and I'm calling home. And my mom's like, oh, your, your child is sick. He has the flu or a fever. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be there as mom. I had to remind myself I'm doing something, you know, on another level to better ourselves, you know, better our lives. And so that was so hard to adjust, but it was a mental thing. When you joined, did you join for a specific number of years? Because you said to better yourself, you wanted to advance your your place. So great. But can you define the, the amount of time that you serve? Yes, I served for a little over six years. That was not my plan when I joined. Um, I initially, my first enlistment was three years. And then when it was time to re-enlist, I made that decision. And then being injured, my injuries started to just become too much for me to really fathom doing a full 20. And so I ended up um, getting out due to medical at the six-year mark. Um, and was I don't you, it. Was your mother raising your children for the six years that you oh. were military? Where were the kids? No, just when I went to training. Um, so okay. she had them when I went to basic and okay. training for my job. And then um, when I was deployed and when I came back from deployment, I vowed um, I, I made a promise to them and myself that I just I couldn't do that again. And if I ended up in another unit that deployed, I would have to basically opt out on a, a parenting plan where I, I tell them I have nobody to take care of my children because things just got not with my mother, but with my son's father, it was just too much legally he was trying to do while I'm in Iraq where I can't deal with anything. He was just trying to pull some stuff. So I um, said, I I can't be in that position because ultimately I'm trying to do something to better them, but you need to be with them at the same, you know, at some point you need to, and and these are their formative years too. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I wanted to ask you a question about the military versus challenging marriages. In the military, tell me if I'm wrong, in order to get the Army, the Navy, the Marines, whatever branch you're in, to function as a unit, and I'm probably more so those in combat, you have to change people mentally, I understand, to obey. Yes. And do things that maybe on your own you would never do. Yes. I, I was thinking as I was reading about you and thinking about talking to you <clears throat> in terms of what you do for a living. When people are in marriages where they obey. They're mm-hmm. all, and you work with women, that whether it's cultural, religious, or just this is what they were used to when they were growing up. Obey, obey, obey. You have been there. You have had to go from the mindset as a civilian to the mindset of a military person 
back to civilian life. How do you make these transitions? And was that perfect, that sequence, when dealing with women who didn't have a mind of their own and didn't have a lot of their own free will as a wife to make decisions? Mm, Good question. Um, And for me, as far as like the changing the mindset, making that transition from civilian to soldier to being in the military, I, I always felt that that was part of the reason why up front I knew that it wasn't for me like a lifer because I, I always could see it. I saw, okay, they're brainwashing us. I understand the why, um, you know, realistically we have to do things yeah. that you can't think twice about when you're told to do. And it requires a certain mindset, but I always looked outside the cadences and such. I'm like, I don't like this, but I see what they're doing. And yeah, so more so certain things I, I conform to, but other things I still thought outside the box with, I went along with, because of course, you know, I'm not going to get in trouble, um, but I still saw outside of that. And so um, I noticed even transitioning back as to being a civilian, there are certain mindset things that do stick with you. And um, not so much for me, it wasn't so much the obey piece. Um, but I, I do want to circle back to that as that relates to my marriage at the time, but it was more so the, um, the ability to kind of wear that, wear the mask, um, mm-hmm. because the military is all about mission first. And that is one thing that they do drill, 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 like, Hey, on one end, they're like, take care of your, your personal problems. If you need support, we're here for you. But on the other end, but don't let it interfere with you doing the mission first and whatever it is, it's mission first, mission first. And so with me going through my divorce and everything, that is where I became stuck because I started, I I wore the mask and it it worked initially. It was good that I could kind of set that aside and make, okay, what's my next move? What am I going to do? But then I kind of got stuck um, and my guard was up. No one's going to hurt me. So I'm not going to let anyone in. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that need to be so strong and such. And I do believe that was part of the mindset of the military that I carried with me that affected me during my divorce. Um, it helped until it didn't. Um, now, as far as the obey, yeah. um, and it, that part being anything related to my marriage, it wasn't, I don't think it was because of like the military, but I did um, in hindsight, I do see that I was in an abusive marriage um, and it was emotionally abusive, not physically abusive, which was part of the reason why it was harder for me to recognize it. Even yeah. though I was a therapist at the time is mm-hmm. one thing when you're in something yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And so I see in hindsight that it was gradual that certain things certain I saw certain red flags that I didn't heed to in the beginning and then I gradually saw it just progress 
to a little more control, another thing that he's nitpicking about. Or, and after a while, getting to the point where I'm walking on eggshells and I'm making excuses for him and I'm trying to hide and not tell people what's really going on and how bad it really is. And I'm feeling caged and stuck and miserable in my marriage. And so it was more so because I did not heed to the red flags, you know, that gut feeling like, mm, this isn't right. Um, I gave benefit of the doubt and I often put myself on the back burner and did not speak up, set boundaries and communicate when I was not okay with a lot of stuff. Certain things I did, but looking back, it was like I really could there. I had to, in my own process, look at and reflect and set aside that anger of being just mad at him, 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 and blaming him and actually look at, okay, what was my part? What can I take away so I can learn and proceed differently in life? And it was a lot of not heeding to the red flags and letting too much just progress and not yeah. setting boundaries and not leaving sooner. So, yeah, you know, I mean, what you said was so perfect, um, everything, but towards the end, we do really have to follow our gut. The way we feel inside is the truest barometer. What goes on up here? No, we can talk ourselves in and out of anything. You know, that cupcake looks so good. I'm sure if I eat it today, there won't be a problem. I right. mean, something as simple as that to the relationship. Um, if it makes you feel bad, it's bad. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. And you don't have to hate the person, but you don't have to be with them either. If they make you feel bad, it's bad. It's, it's literally that simple. Get the pluck out. Yes. Yes. Heed to the red flags and stop. Halt. <laughs> yeah. Just get the pluck out, man. You don't need to be in a tough situation. And all yeah. those things you mentioned at the very beginning the fear of being alone, that's really taking, it'll take care of itself. It'll work itself out. Because uh, I know a lot of people, you know, have that fear. Um, you don't need to go into blame. You know, people are different. The way your spouse is stems probably from how he or she grew up and they don't even know it. So you got to cut people slack and you can do it if you make decisions that are in your own best interest. Right. Right. And kept them the slack. Kina, our time is over, doggone it. This was a complete pleasure. Thank you so much. Mm. Now, we're going to have your information. The, the information is in the show notes. But for those who like to pick up a pencil and write as they're listening to the interview, best way to get in touch with you. Um, on all social medias at Coaching with Kina. K-E-E-N-A. Um, that's the best way to, to reach out to me or connect with me. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, this will be great. And, and then the book, A Superwoman's Guide to Recovery After Divorce. I got yeah. it. Amazon, oh. I'm sure. I'm sure, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Groovy and cool. Thank you so much. And thank you for your service. I could not let the opportunity go to thank you for that. Thank you for your support. Absolutely. And thank all of you for listening. It's so appreciated. I hope this opened up a world of different thinking for you. Please subscribe if you haven't. Please tell your friends because we have so many valuable people like Keena Crowley on. 
to help you. You can reach me with topic ideas or any type of comment through the website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.